0: Welcome to TW Now, where we examine today's news in light of the Bible. I'm Scott Winnell. Today we're going to discuss a topic that's been in the news a great deal lately. It has been many years since mankind walked on the moon, since Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin took one giant leap for mankind. Yet in recent years more nations have gone to space and even made lunar plans Russia as a USSR, Japan, China, the European Space Agency, and India have all attempted moon landings using probes. Several nations now are planning manned missions to the moon within a decade. China and India are both spending a great deal of money and resources on space travel. Russia is updating its space flight capabilities. And private industry through Boeing, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin Galactic are also planning manned space flights in the near future. All told, over 50 private companies around the globe are working on or are already traveling into space. Space as the final frontier has been a fascinating idea for generations of people all around the globe. But why? And why are so many nations hurrying to get into space now? A recent article from the British paper, The Guardian, asked this same question. They asked, and stated, everyone's going back to the moon, but why? Today's returning guests will share their thoughts regarding these questions and provide some answers that, you, that may motivate you to think further about this fascinating topic. Mr. Wallace Smith is a Tomorrow's World telecast presenter and science writer for the Tomorrow's World magazine. He's a minister of religion and is interested in all things space. He's written articles related to today's topic, including Black Holes, Leviathans of the Cosmic Deep, and Do We Live in a Multiverse? Mr. Smith, welcome back. It's good to have you on the program. Thank you. Good to be here. It's good to have you in the studio today Thank as you. well. And Mr. Ray Clore. Mr. Clore is a Tomorrow's World writer as well, and a minister. His background includes working with world governments through the U.S. State Department. Related to today's program, from 2005 to 2016, Mr. Klor was the chief day-to-day U.S. government liaison with the European Space Commission, where he dealt with issues related to compatibility and interoperability between the U.S. GPS system and the European Galileo Satellite Navigation System project. So he's got some background in this area as well. Mr. Clore joins us today from Washington, D.C. area via Skype. And Mr. Clore, it's great to have you back with us today as well.
1: Thank you, Scott. Glad to be with you all.
0: For our audience, if you have questions related to today's topic, we encourage you to join our discussion and you can message us and we'll do our best to address some of your questions. We also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like and share today's program. Okay, gentlemen, let's go ahead and get started, and Mr. Kloor, I'll come to you first. As we think about what's going on around the world related to space and the moon, why do nations spend so much money today and put in so much effort to go into space and even go into the moon and, and beyond? Why are nations doing this, Mr. Kloor?
1: I, I think the, the first, uh, there's many reasons, but I think the first reason I would like to bring up is the military. Uh, aspect of things because space is the ultimate high ground, and historically, whoever has held the high ground uh, really has the advantage when it comes to conflicts. Uh, the United States has been using space uh, for many years uh, to improve our communication systems, in particular the GPS system, as you mentioned that I, I worked with for many years. Uh, GPS is is used for um, the guidance systems uh, for uh, precision munitions, uh, smart bombs, uh, smart field artillery, uh, all sorts of things. And so uh, we have those satellites up in orbit and they do provide a service for civilians, of course, but its primary purpose uh, was for military purposes. So I, I think when we talk about why are people getting into space, the first impetus, at least, was military. And I'm sure there's many others, but perhaps Mr. Smith might want to uh, elaborate on some others. Sure.
2: I know a big one also is profit. Man is motivated by money. And I'm not even saying that is a bad thing. I'm saying that we want to build better lives for ourselves. We like, I enjoy my iPhone. It's funny, I have my phone up here on the desk and I use it as a timer to know what time it is. I have it shaped like an old school clock with a regular analog face, but it's a digital reproduction of an analog face. I love being able to pick up my phone and contact virtually anybody in the world within moments. I love being able to see Mr. Klor here uh, from from such a distance, immediately as handsome as he is there. Uh, I enjoy that. All of this is provided by this technology, and who doesn't want that? There's there's money to be made in this business. It's a it's a brand new, well, let's say it's not a brand new field, it's a field we're getting more and more comfortable with, but it's also a field in which we're learning we can do more and more with. So for those nations that have the ability, that have the support networks, that have the technology, have the access to individuals with enough education and enough expertise, it'd almost be ridiculous not to try to exploit this as we've exploited all the other environments that we have access to.
0: Well, oh, money, Mr. Clore, um you mentioned just a minute ago militarization issues. Yeah. Uh, actually, we didn't, we didn't really go into militarization, but using it for military purposes. I'm thinking of militarizing space too. But is there a fine line also between military applications and making money
1: in space? There can be. Um, really the biggest money maker historically has been communication satellites, boosting those uh, into orbit because everyone has their iPhone, and they want to talk to each other all around the world, and that makes a lot of money. Um, of course, the military uses the communication satellites as well, and as you said, there is a line between uh, commercial civilian use of things. I mean people talk about the possibility of manufacturing uh, ultra spherical barrel bearings in low Earth orbit or or growing, you know, d- different types of uh, drugs that would be ultra pure in, in a, a low G environment. I mean, those are still a bit out there. They're not really developed completely yet. But but um, the militarization of space, where we might fight in space, yes, the United States, uh, for one nation at least, is planning uh, for the possibility of fighting in space. There are certain international treaties that prohibit this type of activity. And yet we all know that uh, when it comes to the kind of uh, interests of nations, treaties won't necessarily stop an action if it's deemed in the vital national interest of a nation.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. I would say it'd be a little unusual to say that pride doesn't play a role as well. I know we're talking about vast sums, you're talking about billions of dollars and such. But if you go back and look at the history of the race to the moon we're talking about nations going back to the moon how much of that was motivated at least in, in the united states by the fact that we didn't want the ussr to get there first and i was a big fan of the right stuff when that came out I don't know if you remember at least the the movie the right stuff and it was fascinating to see the lives of these astronauts but i thought they did a wonderful job as well about displaying the politics of the time and how unsettling it was when the Russians and the communists and USSR would take one step before we did take the next step before we did and that that really pressed us to motivate it really motivated us and as Americans at least those of us on this program where we're Americans in this particular program and that's something in a national character i know in the united states and i'm sure elsewhere also that you don't want to lose you want to be the winner you want to be the person who was first to do that you want to be the person who was first to to land and mine that asteroid you want to be the first group to discover the actual oceans under the moons uh, the surface there around jupiter you want to be first and i think it'd be you'd have to ignore human nature to say that doesn't play some kind of role surely it does it it mm-hmm. has to
1: I I certainly agree with that. Uh, National prestige was a big role in the the Russia-U.S. space race to the moon. I I think I'd also like to add just one more thing. There are some people who are motivated to get into space because they want to preserve humanity, preserve the species. I'm thinking of Elon Musk. Uh, I think he wants to go to Mars uh, with the idea that, okay, let's let's have a colony on Mars that's self-sufficient so that if we get into some horrible war on Earth that destroys life, that the species will continue. Uh, I think that motivates some people and especially if you're a billionaire and you're motivated that way, well then um, SpaceX is doing a great job. They're building wonderful uh, boosters that are actually helping, you know, the space exploration program. But that that seems to be one motivation behind his uh, desire to get into space is to preserve the species. Well, that actually leads me to another quick question here.
0: Uh, so colonizing space, preserving the species, sometimes even maybe starting this new society out there that's gonna be bigger and better and greater and away from all of the problems of the Earth. Is, is that a realistic thing? We go to space and wow, we can just start something new and, and, and better
2: no i don't think that's realistic and i like to think i'm an optimist i I, i'm I'm accused sometimes by my family of being a pollyanna even my children who aren't old enough to remember pollyanna uh, you can say dad can be somewhat of a pollyanna but that said i don't think that's realistic i think that one of the main problems with setting up colonies on mars or the moon or in space orbiting around the earth any place we go is that it's still us there is we haven't we certainly haven't solved the problems of human nature and where we go we're going to take human nature in fact i have to credit mr clore in terms of the bit of news that he brought up that that i was unaware of a first that we have in space uh, i don't know if mr clore wants to tell us all about this glorious yeah, moment ahead. in space oh go boy ahead. i apparently I don't know if this is breaking news for some of you. We certainly haven't broken it, but the first crime potentially has been committed in space. Looks like they have that. From space, yes. From space, that's right. Uh, We have actually an article uh, here from Live Science to show you concerning a female astronaut who potentially is accused of, I I don't know the facts, whether she actually did or not, was trying to look into some sort of files in terms of on a personal matter that were inappropriate. Who knows if that's actually the case? I I certainly don't want to be sued for any any particular claim that would be inappropriate. But in such a small way, whether that's true or not, that sort of headline, first crime in space, I feel as just mankind we can't help but take our stories with us and I feel like we've seen on earth we found the new world and so what did the old world do essentially import a great deal of the old world to the new so much was new but so much was old I think the important things frankly were old and that old part is human nature
1: mm. y- yes I've uh, I've read a lot of science fiction I think many people have and It's inspiring, some of the stories uh, that you read about exploring the universe and that type of thing. But one of the underlying assumptions of all the science fiction that I've read is that we take our human nature with us. I mean, all the the pride, the vanity, the anger, the wars, they all follow humanity out as they explore the galaxy. And at the same time, humanity takes nobility and courage and purpose and and, and, and good qualities as well uh, but the thing is is that you know we if we are going to be doing that on a, on a on the galaxy scale and it's like well we can't solve our problems here so if we go to the universe it's just the same problems just on a much greater scale that that seems a bit futile It doesn't really seem inspiring mm-hmm. right.
0: let me ask you this the issues that you've brought up uh, reasons motivations for humanity to go to space to go to the moon Uh, we've talked about um, military reasons uh, protection that type of thing we've talked about making money opportunities to do that we've talked about a pride issue that's involved we've talked about um sort of this preservation of humanity concept are there any Other maybe more meaningful reasons that humanity might want to Go to space go to the moon or is or is it just really a foolhardy? um, Selfish oriented kind of idea kind of motivation. Mr. Smith
2: Well, that's a great question. I think there are more noble purposes to be sure I don't think you have to be romantic to assume a great deal of nobility in these programs definitely it's a mixture there's human beings involved and so there's going to be a mixture of of good and ill but absolutely there's a desire to want to know to want to know what's out there i was mentioning earlier in conversations that we were having that when i was a child i would look up at the stars i would see all of these places and it would frustrate me because i knew enough to know there might be planets there there might be different worlds And that very likely by the end of my lifetime i was not going to be able to visit them all and i wanted to be able to see i want to be able to explore and want to know what could we do with life out there and i think it is a part of mankind's nature to explore that we have this world we've been given and we long to find distant shores we long to look for new opportunities and it would be wrong to write off all these efforts as simply an effort for money though certainly for some it is and not also see it as something that has its role to play in ennobling the human spirit, and I, I do believe that, I do believe that it has that role as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mr.
2: Clark,
1: yeah, I'd like to just build on that a little bit. Uh, the whole idea of curiosity—I mean, that—that's part of humanity. I mean little children, you know, their their full-time job is to learn about things. You know, they they grab stuff, they look at it, they they put it in their mouth, whether it's, you know, dirt or insects or you name it. They're they're always learning. That's their job, and they're curious. And as long as we are curious, it keeps us young, I think. Uh, My my father-in-law recently died. But to the day he died, he was always curious, and it kept him young at heart. And so I think that there is that deep-seated curiosity that, that God has built into human beings. And we look at the stars, and we want to understand them. We want to know, well, what are they all about? What, what's out there? And, and if I could just even you know, go to a, a verse in the Bible, it's that in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it states that God, who made everything, he has put eternity in the hearts of men. God did this. He put eternity. He gives us an understanding there's something out there in, in a great way. And so God has built that desire into the heart of man to des- to explore, to expand, and go out. It, it as the Bible says is as, as Jesus said, uh, it, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And so if God has put eternity into our hearts, then at least some representatives of humanity will speak about that, they will want to grow, they will want to expand, they want to act on curiosity. And again, we understand that there's a certain balance in terms of resource use, uh, you can't spend all of your money like going out you know, and, and exploring and that type of thing and ignore the problems that you have here. But I think there's that deep-seated curiosity, that deep-seated longing that God has put into our hearts because he's put eternity into our hearts and we want to expand and grow. Right, I think we should be willing to separate the the practical
2: side, whether or not it's foolhardy, from the motivation to a certain extent. Tr- truly some efforts of mankind are foolhardy regardless of the motivations. You have some that are motivated by the beautiful wilderness. There's tales of those who have just been dropped off and gone to explore Alaska. They've seen beautiful scenes. They want to go visit its its see its various vistas, walk its trails, go into its forests, and they're never seen again, because it was foolhardy. They weren't properly prepared. The world has not benefited from what they have done, other than to have a story to relate on an internet program, you know, some other time. But the motivations, that desire, how can we criticize mankind for being motivated by wonder, for being stirred by the fact that there are greater things than he is? IN THE WORLD AND THE DESIRE TO WANT TO BE A PART OF THEM AND TO CONNECT WITH THEM SOMEHOW. Mm-hmm. JUST AS THE VERSE RELATED BY MR. CLORE SAID, I BELIEVE THAT'S PART OF OUR WARP AND WOLF. IT'S PART OF OUR DESIGN TO CONNECT WITH SOMETHING LARGER THAN US. AND I FEEL THAT DOES MOTIVATE US AND I THINK, I think THAT'S COMMENDABLE. I don't THINK THAT'S SOMETHING TO BE, to be DISMISSED. Well,
0: YOU MAKE ME THINK YOU'VE DONE A LOT OF WRITING AND PRESENTING ON THE TOPIC OF EVOLUTION AS WELL. AND YOU LOOK AT MANKIND VERSUS, maybe the next smartest creature underneath us uh, to use uh, uh, macroevolutionary concepts maybe the chimpanzee or something I don't look around and see chimpanzees exploring there, there, there seems to be quite a difference between the drives of of animal creatures and humanity
2: absolutely there are scientists I, I've read even recently they're trying to find some semblances of what they would consider a religion amongst lower creatures there's this particular tree they found Several, multiple chimpanzees would go to to throw a rock at for no seeming reason and saying oh, it's the beginnings of worship Look, they're throwing rocks at a tree regardless of such conclusions It is a vast gulf and the fact that we long to be amongst the stars Unless we can decode dolphin and suddenly discover that that's what they're talking about all day long as they wish they could go to the stars There's this vast gulf between us and them and that desire to be a part of that greater thing. Mm-hmm. I do believe it helps to define us
0: Mr. Clore any other thoughts about? Maybe underlying motivations, reasons why humanity seems to be drawn to the cosmos?
1: Well, I I think yes. Uh, The Bible is very clear that that God has put this whole universe out there and that if you look in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, a very inspiring passage, it says that God has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but, you know, he talks, he quotes a passage that King David uh, originally wrote, but basically the conclusion is that, you know, God has put all things under mankind, and that is, in the Greek, is ta-panta, it really means the whole universe. And the passage goes on to explain, well, we don't yet see all things put under mankind, but we do see Jesus who is our the pioneer of our salvation. So fairly long answer, but yes, it seems that the Bible is clear that there is a universe out there and God wants to give it to us. And so anyone who reads the Bible, especially that passage will notice that and would probably be motivated to think, well, how can we do this? I mean, we can't do that or can't explore the universe as human beings Uh, There's so many limitations on this physical flesh, but how is God going to do that? And again, it comes back to the wonder, how is God going to do that? It's possible, and it's there, and I think that's a motivating factor for people wanting to explore the universe. Well, that actually relates to a a similar kind of
0: question we have from the audience. And the question relates to, uh, let's see, do you think that God created the solar system, the universe, for humanity to explore? And
2: go into. Well, that's interesting. Did he create it for us to explore and go into now? I don't know that that's the, it would be a stretch to say that's the purpose of it. Now, if you look at how far we've been able to explore, even the Voyager, we've sent the Voyagers out, and now we have, I think both of them have finally crossed the heliosphere. It might just be one. I can't recall the pressures of being on live TV. But we have gone past what we consider the limits of the solar system, however barely. But that is such a drop in the bucket. In fact, drop in the bucket is is insufficient to describe how minuscule that is. I don't think that he's necessarily put these things out there for us to explore now for that purpose. Absolutely not. Uh, Mr. Clore was just talking about that as an inheritance for us. Yes, I do believe there's not a corner of the universe we wouldn't have access to in the future in terms of what God's purpose for us is. When you look at the Bible, beginning with Genesis, he clearly makes us in his image and he puts the creation in particular in the world, the earth, under our dominion. I do think it's right to think of that as a, as a taste, as a foretaste, mm-hmm. that there is a universe that we should expect to get to explore one day. So did he make it for us? I think like Mr. Clore highlighted, the Bible sort of explicit that he did. The, mm-hmm. the all is made for us. But at this time, no, not yet.
0: Let's talk about this a little bit more. What, do we have any other scriptural, biblical um, supports for the idea that... Uh, God has designed humanity for more than the earth, at least in the future.
1: Well, there are several verses, particularly in Isaiah uh, chapter 40 and 44, about God stretching out the heavens. Um, and, and this is the same language that physicists use when they talk about uh, the three spatial dimensions being stretched out after the Big Bang. Of course, time is attached at every point along the space-time continuum because it's a qualitatively different, um, different uh, dimension. But it's clear that God has made the universe specifically for mankind. The kind of laws that God made, the values, how they interact, how they are so precise—it—it uh, it, it had to be made with the idea of having a safe. And stable environment for humankind to grow up in. So it it wasn't just by chance. I mean, that's clearly not the case about our universe. Um, But like I said, there's verses that talk about the heavens, that God stretched it out, and that at some point, maybe God will roll it back up and start something in the future. There's even something in Isaiah 65 about new heavens and and new earth. So there are verses that talk about how God created the heavens and, and we are in that particular universe
2: yeah I think the Bible speaks as well building on what what Mr. Clore just said that the earth is a special place Uh, the things that actually support life are here if you look in Isaiah it talks about how the earth wasn't made pointlessly it was made to be inhabited this planet was clearly made to be inhabited every place we've gone so far doesn't look all that habitable and yet exactly as has been highlighted, the Bible also makes it plain that we're going to inherit all of that. In the, end of the, in the end of the whole book, you look at Revelation 21, it says we're going to inherit all things, which seems to imply that what may be in a state of not habitability right now, not, it's not really inhabitable, that those things are going to change, that we're going to have the opportunity to do something with that. And I find it fascinating when you look at Genesis chapter 1, what you see is God taking a very uninhabitable circumstance AND MAKING IT HABITABLE, AND MAKING IT HABITABLE FOR MANKIND, AND THIS SENSE THAT PERHAPS WE WOULD GET TO PARTICIPATE WITH HIM TO DO THE SAME THING mm-hmm. THROUGHOUT THE UNIVERSE is, IS FASCINATING. TO ME IT'S SOMETHING THAT uh, IT'S EASY TO DWELL ON MAYBE TOO LONG WHEN I SHOULD BE GETTING SOME OF MY OTHER WORK DONE, BECAUSE IT'S, <laughs> it's, it's SUCH A SITUATION THAT HOLDS OUT SUCH PROMISE, AND IT SEEMS LIKE SUCH A GREATER PROMISE THAT GOD IS HOLDING OUT THAN WHAT FRANKLY MANY OTHER PEOPLE who WHO BELIEVE THEY BELIEVE THE BIBLE, have perhaps even considered before.
1: Mm. I'd like to just add to Romans 8, I believe it's verse 19, where it talks about all creation, the whole universe awaits the revealing of the sons of God, uh, that the universe was subject to entropy, uh, to futility, you know, not willingly, but that it's going to be delivered, it's gonna be delivered from this current futility, this state of uninhabitability, as Mr. Smith just said, and it's going to be brought into a more joyful, bright future by the appearance and the revealing of the sons of God. So, so this is a verse, a passage that very clearly shows that we have a role in helping beautify the universe. This universe was made so that human beings could have a, a, a real part in making it beautiful and joyful and happy. And, and it's one of the most inspiring uh, passages of Scripture that I know of. One of the analogies I like that
2: Paul uses in that is that of a pregnant woman going through labor. And he talks about how the the universe, the creation, it's as if it's going through labor pains right now. It's going through that difficulty. AND IF YOU ASK, AT LEAST I KNOW IF I ASK MY WIFE, THAT WAS NOT THE MOST FUN TIME IN HER LIFE WAS GOING THROUGH THAT PARTICULAR EXPERIENCE, AND YET, AS HE SAYS, that BUT THEN ONCE THE BIRTH TAKES PLACE, THAT ALL OF THAT SUFFERING IS REPLACED WITH JOY NOW THAT, that A NEW HUMAN BEING HAS BEEN BORN INTO THE WORLD, AND I KNOW WHEN I SEE FOOTAGE COMING BACK FROM OUR PROBES ON MARS AND OUR, our ROVERS and, AND OTHER PLACES WE'VE GONE THAT SEEM SO DESOLATE, IS EXACTLY THAT PASSAGE THAT MR. CLORE JUST BROUGHT UP IN ROMANS THAT COMES TO MY MIND, THAT WHAT I SEE IS A WORLD THAT IS CRYING OUT Mm -hmm. FOR WHAT PAUL DESCRIBES AS THE REVEALING OF THE SONS OF GOD AND THAT KIND OF DELIVERANCE. Mm -hmm. AND uh, I AGREE, THAT'S A REMARKABLY INSPIRING PASSAGE. YOU MAKE ME THINK AS WELL,
0: uh, WE THINK ABOUT WHERE GOD'S THRONE IS AND WHERE MUCH OF THE ANGELIC HOST RESIDES TODAY. Do either of you have any thoughts about uh, how the reality of where God is now may impact our drive as well? Is there something that he's put into us? Is there something that's drawn us to where maybe he is or the angels are?
2: I know for me, I probably shouldn't talk about it because i'll start using a lot of math and algebra and that's always the way i tend to think about it in terms of where god is in terms of different dimensions and such so that rather than putting my audience to sleep like my algebra class uh, used to get put to sleep a whole lot i will say that actually it's one of the glories of of being a CHRISTIAN RIGHT NOW, A BIBLICAL CHRISTIAN, IS UNDERSTANDING THAT IF YOU HAVE BEEN GIVEN GOD'S SPIRIT, YOU'VE BEEN BAPTIZED, you, YOU'RE A BIBLICAL CHRISTIAN, THEN GOD AND JESUS CHRIST ARE ACTUALLY LIVING IN YOU RIGHT NOW. LIKE GALATIANS 2.20 mm-hmm. SAYS THAT mm-hmm. it, that JESUS CHRIST IS LIVING HIS LIFE IN US RIGHT NOW, AND IT'S HARD TO IMAGINE A MORE INTIMATE CONNECTION WITH GOD THAN THAT. SO is IS THAT PULLING US? I DON'T KNOW IF I'D SAY THAT'S A CONTRIBUTING FACTOR, BUT I DO KNOW WHEN I REFLECT ON SUCH THINGS, I can be thankful I don't have to wait for that, that, that those who actually are willing to follow what God says in the Bible have the opportunity to participate in that kind of communion now.
1: Okay. Mr. DeCler, any thoughts? So, well, there is the scripture that says that God sits in the sides of the north. Um, so what does that mean? Um, is, is that really pointing us toward Polaris as God's thrown in that direction? <laughs> I'm not sure that actually means that Um, there are other verses that says that God is near to every one of us. And as uh, Mr. Smith alluded to, there are uh, mathematics that allow for at least six or possibly seven more dimensions. And you think, well, how is it that a spirit being can go through a wall? How can they just appear and then disappear? Um, And again, this gets into again, multi-dimensional type things, but, but God is near to every one of us. Where is his throne? Um, The only biblical indication is that it's somewhere in in the sides of the north. Um, We'll find out one day.
0: Mm -hmm. We probably ought to begin winding this down. Um, A couple of questions before we do. Uh, Mr. Clore, just a free-for-all kind of question here from our audience. It says, "Do you think man will arrive at Mars before the return of Christ?" <laughs> you get to speculate on this one.
1: Um, you know, every time we speculate on when Jesus Christ is going to return, we've been wrong. <laughs> um, right now, there are uh, plans afoot to try to get uh, human beings on Mars by around 2030, something like that. Um, so you know, will we last that long? Uh, it, it's hard to say. I mean, a, a voyage to Mars takes, at the best, about six months, six to eight months. They would stay there about eighteen months and hopefully come back and take another six months. So you're talking about a probably about a three-year voyage to Mars to get there and back. I think technologically, uh, within about five years, we could have boosters strong enough to uh, make a direct shot to Mars, that's not the current plan. Uh, The current plan is to actually try to build a space station uh, around the moon, and then use that to help build a base on the moon, which might get resources, that that would help uh, fuel a a trip to Mars. So, uh, when it comes to space exploration, everything moves to the right. Everything takes longer than -hmm. than you think. So, I would uh, go out on a limb, and I would say that, no, mankind will not be (laughs) on Mars. Before Jesus Christ returns.
0: Okay, I have some questions now about uh, the next uh, leaders in the EU and the next president. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we won't go there. <clears throat> I want to try and get this thought back that I had. Oh, personal question for you both. As you think about uh, humanity in space, uh, or actually maybe not humanity anymore, but after Christ returns and. Mm-hmm. Christ Begins form, Forming His Spirit Family. Do you have any uh, interests in space, personally? What you'd like to see, where you'd like to go, what you'd like to
2: do? Oh, absolutely. I, ha- I have a shopping list already. I'll just, up at the top of my shopping list, because I wouldn't want to go through the whole list. I would love to go out and visit the Voyager craft i have had a personal interest in them since i was a child and they did the tour of the planets in the solar system it captured my imagination and the idea that they're still out there in darkness just flying through the universe when christ establishes his reign on earth and we do begin exploring are we just going to let them continue going might we bring them back and put them in a museum of some sort if I can just be given a few moments to just go and visit, check them out, see them in person, I'd love that. That's at the top of my shop. If you're going to get personal, I'll get personal. That's on the top of my shopping list. Okay.
1: Well, for me, um, I I am a musical person. My family is musical. I play the violin. And there is that verse in uh, Isaiah 44, verse 23, I think it is. And it talks about, sing, O heavens. And when I think about the universe, I, I, you know, I, I start, you know, by thinking, okay, sound. We make beautiful music, symphony music, and that's just a, a small bit of spectrum of waves coming through a medium, and we have receptors called our ears, and we listen to it, and we, it, it has the ability to inspire and, and motivate, and it's wonderful the kind of music that we can make and, and appreciate even now. But if you look at the universe I mean there are so many more waves out there the x-rays, radio waves, all sorts of things going on um, and if we could have receptors where we could hone in on the kind of symphony of the stars what's happening you know with you know supernova going off like you know symbols uh, um, the swish of planets moving around in their orbits the staccato of meteors hitting other meteors what kind of music is there out there i mean i'm actually looking forward to having the ability one day to understand and appreciate the music of the universe uh, that's fascinating <clears throat> gentlemen we need to, we do need to
0: wind this down now i do have a final question for you and we'll start with you mr clore What is an important takeaway from today's discussion, an important idea or concept you really want to leave our audience with?
1: Well, I think it's clear that humanity has so many problems on the earth today that I I could really understand why someone would say, well, why are we having a space program anyway? Why don't we use that money to help alleviate poverty, to pursue education, to give potable water to people who who don't have clean water? And, And that... You know, I can understand why people wouldn't want to have a space program. Um, and I think also from a just a religious standpoint, I think we need to concentrate on, you know, changes in human nature uh, so that we can learn how to live in peace, have good relationships, good marriages, things like that. So I understand that particular viewpoint. However, for me, I think space programs respond to a broad need among human beings, to act on our collective curiosity, our desire to explore, to expand, expand and understand, because God has put eternity into our hearts. And I think we must act in appropriate, responsible ways on that largeness of heart that God has put into us. We are God's children. How can we not act on that largeness of heart, that eternity, that God has put in us?:
0: Thank you for those thoughts appreciate it. Mr. Smith.
2: Well, thank you for asking. If you don't mind, I'm probably gonna turn it into 1.2 takeaways. One being, I hope our viewers will consider the Tomorrow's World magazine. Uh, this last issue, Mr. Richard Ames actually wrote an article about the very topic we've been discussing in terms of what's going on with the space programs, what's ahead, mm-hmm. and as the editor, I can't help but push it. And the article was written by my boss, so that makes a big difference, big difference <laughs> as well. But in terms of a takeaway for the audience, the fact is though most of the world is ignorant of it we have an amazing purpose we have a booklet about that too your ultimate destiny and i hope hope our viewers will consider looking at that online we have a purpose and the purpose is so much larger than almost anyone understands even those who are devoutly religious generally do not understand this And when you understand that as we've discussed today it involves inheriting everything that you see out there and I would hope regardless of whether people think we should have a space program or shouldn't have a space program we do have space programs that is going on we're constantly getting so much feedback about the universe around us and I would hope that they would allow that to inform a bit of imagination and inform their thoughts on what their purpose really is. If they've never asked themselves that question, then at this time when we're looking out to the universe to try to get as much information as we can and learn as much as we can, what better time is there to ask, Do I have a place in all of this? Does all of this mean anything for me? Because I think, why well, no? If you will discover, if you are willing to discover, if you're willing to look into the Bible, look at what it says you're attached to all of this in ways that you can't imagine right now without God's help to imagine it. So I, I would want our audience to take away the idea that all of this is very much connected to you. Take the time to to find out how. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it makes me think too, our exploration of space, our examination of space, perhaps more than anything else, r- really has been a tool that we've been able to tap into to realize how small we are as human beings. Uh, Sagan made those comments years ago, but he drew the wrong conclusion. He he said, you know, we're just this blue speck out there. Uh, But what we've learned about the universe has really shown us that there seems to be a much bigger plan for us and where we fit into all things. And to me, that's exciting. Gentlemen, thank you both for being on the program today thank you for the time that you put in and for sharing your thoughts and your insights i know it's a topic that you're both very interested in as i am as well thank you an increasing number of nations and corporations are going to space as we've talked about to the moon planning to go to mars part of the motivation for this effort is economic part is selfish part of it is in self-defense but there's also or at least there also seems to be an underlying motivator or a group of motivators like the desires to achieve, which we've talked about, the desire for a collective mission and a national focus that everyone is working toward. And there's a draw to the unknown, to the unreachability of space, a place where God's throne resides. Space is a place that humanity will visit, as we've talked about, after Christ's return and after human beings are changed into spirit beings. Part of our destiny really does lie or exist out there. The Bible tells us that space and everything in it was created by God and for a tremendous purpose. One day we'll find out the details of God's plan for space and our future role in it. Until that time, space and the moon promised to be both intriguing and turbulent if the headlines tell us what's ahead. To learn more about the incredible future of mankind and even mankind's future in the heavens, we encourage you to check out our booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny. You can read this, download it, or even listen to it online at tomorrowsworld.org. And to learn more about today's news and issues in light of the Bible, we encourage you to tune in each week to TW Now. Next week, we plan to discuss Christianity's Pagan Past. You won't want to miss our fascinating discussion. Again, we invite you to be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like, and share today's program, and we look forward to seeing you again next week here on TW Now.